Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney here, the host of How They Love Mary. When I was a teenager, I read True Devotion to Mary by St. Louis de Montfort. And when I say read, I mean, I read the words on the page, but I didn't understand every word he was trying to say. As a priest and a Marian theologian, many people have asked me to clarify the teachings of St. Louis de Montfort from True Devotion to Mary. I'm happy to share that I've released a new book with Ave Maria Press, called Behold the Handmaid of the Lord, a 10-day personal retreat with St. Louis de Montfort's True Devotion to Mary. This book explains the basic teachings of this great Marian saint and writer and helps us to understand what he's trying to teach and to know the person of Mary better. Before you consecrate yourself to Jesus through Mary with St. Louis de Montfort's method, Learn his theology with this new book. You can buy it at AveMariaPress.com. And when you do so, you'll save when you use the code BEHOLD at checkout. Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. We know the person of the Blessed Virgin Mary from the sacred scriptures, foretold by the prophets of old like Isaiah and Zechariah and Zephaniah, written about by Luke especially, who gives us her perspective of the nativity of the Lord. And when we talk about the Blessed Mother, sometimes there are questions about the marriage of Joseph and Mary. At the time of Jesus' conception, was she an unwed mother? What do we make of all of these questions? How do we truly understand it? And just the other day on Instagram, I came across a little picture, and this is something I enjoy doing sometimes, kind of pulling a page out of Cardinal Dolan's book from Conversations with Cardinal Dolan, because what he'll do is he finds an article, reads it, and he says, I want to talk to that person. And that's basically what I did here. I encountered Stephanie Lansem's article that was published in the Pittsburgh Catholic Magazine, Mary of Nazareth, the Ultimate Risk Taker. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. We should have a conversation about that. And so Stephanie graciously agreed to that. Stephanie is an author of several uh, Christian, you could call them Catholic fiction books, popular especially among Protestants, as she was sharing with me during our little show prep. She's also contributed uh, to two different Ave Maria Press books, Walk in Her Sandals and Gaze Upon Jesus. And today she joins us on How They Love Mary. So welcome, Stephanie. Well, thanks for having me, Father. It's great to get to know you and to learn a little about your podcast. You know, sometimes on Instagram, I often wonder, well, how did I ever follow that person? You know, so I don't know how I ever followed you, whether you came up as one of those recommended people or maybe what happens sometimes is different Catholic figures. You know, I think Katie Prejean McGrady has done this. Lisa Hendy has done this. They'll say, you know, follow Tuesday. These are five accounts I follow and you should follow them too. And so typically I'll click those names and I'll follow them. I'm like, I need good content in my life. And that's how sometimes these things come about. And so grateful to have found you to talk with you today about Mary as the ultimate risk taker. And that's your article. 
And how do you view Mary as being a risk taker in her life? Well, <laughs> the funny thing is, I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret. I didn't write that that headline. Um, my original blog post and article that I had on my website is called um, Unwed and Pregnant in Ancient Israel, I think, something like that. Um, but when they republished it in the Pittsburgh Magazine, they redid the, you know, they made it kind of a more, I don't know, eye-catching um, headline for it. So I was surprised when I saw that. I'm like, Mary, the ultimate risk taker. Interesting. Um, <laughs> so, but but I would, I guess I would call her a risk taker. But mostly when I think of Mary at the Annunciation and, and what she may have been feeling, which is what I do when I write biblical fiction, is really just try to put myself in the minds of um, the person whose point of view I'm writing from. It's, I think of her more as the ultimate truster in God, you know, I mean, she, it might have seemed like a very risky thing for her to do to tell her parents and Joseph, her betrothed, that she was pregnant. Um, But for her, I imagine it was an act of trust more than an act of a risk. Sure. And that's interesting you say that because I submit books even, you know, to publishers and this is the title I'd like. They say, well, no, this is what we think you should title your book. And for you, when you originally published this, because you wrote this for your blog that people can find at your website, they'll be linked in the show notes that uh, you titled it. And we, when we write things, we want to have a catchy title in the sense of when someone searches a question you want to be the top hit on Google. So when someone Googles unwed in Israel or was Mary unwed, you hope then people will find your website and that will lead them to a greater discovery of your writings and everything that you've done then in general as well. Right. And a, and a greater understanding of of Mary and what, how she might have um, viewed this amazing appearance of an angel which is just you know i mean when i try to to picture that it's very hard for me to picture like what how she might have been feeling um but we have to take into account how she was raised and you know the place that she lived in um when we think of how she might have react how she was reacting to this angel but yeah you need a catchy title because you want people to read your stuff So you had in your original title, as you mentioned, Unwed in Ancient Israel. So is that a proper way for us to understand Mary as an unwed mother? Or what do you think about that question? What are we to make of this relationship of Mary and Joseph? The scriptures say they were betrothed. So how do we understand that? Right. I wouldn't call it unwed. I'm I'm thinking it's that's a little bit of a clickbait thing to make people go like, ooh, we... We have so many unwed mothers in our culture. Um, it used to be very, you know, shameful and, you know, you know, something that people never, never spoke of to have an unwed mother. There's such way to, you know, places where their communities, you know, kind of didn't want them around. Um, but now, of course, unwed motherhood is pretty common. It's, it's hardly even, you know, blinked at. But in Israel you know, in that, in the first century when Mary was living, um, she wasn't unwed. She was betrothed, which in our understanding is very much more like being 
being married. It had all of the responsibilities of marriage. So yeah, she wasn't, she wasn't unwed. What she would have been risking and what would have been, you know, the big scandal for her was that she was pregnant with someone who is not her betrothed, pregnant by someone who is not her betrothed. So that would have been the huge concern in the community. Because she was pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit, and people didn't realize that, they didn't understand that, and so they make this right. negative association then about that. Yeah, my understanding is that there were really two movements of the Jewish marriage ritual. The first was the betrothal, and then the second was the home-taking. And this would be Joseph right. taking Mary into his home. And that's what the angel tells him. So once he finds out that Mary is with child, the angel says, don't be afraid to take Mary into your home. And so we already know they're betrothed. And so this is the encouragement for the final home taking to take place then. And so I, I read some scholars about this question many years ago, and one of them kind of conjectured that this home taking may have even taken place in Bethlehem, that, you know, there Joseph and Mary are going for the census, but we know that Joseph has family in Bethlehem. And it says that when the wise men came, they entered the house. And so they believe that quite possibly that this home taking kind of happened uh, in his hometown. So that's one possible outcome, one possible uh, scholarly opinion. I'm sure that's open to being challenged and corrected by other scholars as well. But it's just kind of understanding this twofold approach uh, to the marriage then of Joseph and Mary. And so uh, I think you already hit on this, but when we talk about Mary and Joseph and the possibility that some use that language unwed, um, what do you think contributes to that misunderstanding? Why would people say she was unwed? Probably, I, I guess, because they don't understand. Is that what you'd think? I think I think so, yeah. I think it's hard for us um, modern people to really, under, to really know how people looked at things in biblical times, unless you are that, you know, a a scriptural a scripture study or you read a lot about that historical time period like I like I did and sometimes when I was reading you know doing research for my books a passage of the Bible would just suddenly become clear because I'm like oh I did not know this I did not know this this piece of history that and of the cultural norms of the time that suddenly clears up something that has always been kind of hard to understand within, you know, Jesus' words or within what's happening in the Bible. Um, like when Jesus, or when when Joseph got the message from the angel, I don't remember exactly if it was in Luke or, or what, but it said that he considered divorcing her quietly. Well, he can only divorce someone that he's already married to. Um, so clearly that he was considered married to her. And to divorce her publicly because she was pregnant would lead to her stoning because he would divorce her and the reason would be adultery. Um, so when you think about it in that way, clearly they were married in every sense of the word except for the fact that he hadn't taken her to his home yet. Definitely. So I think people just don't understand that cultural norm that the Jewish people had at the time. And so then there's even questions, you know, about the marriage of Joseph and Mary. They're questions I've talked about and, and researched myself. But, you know, some people say, well, did 
did Mary and Joseph have a, a marriage, you know, and we look back at it in our sacramental worldview. We say, well, marriage is a sacrament. So did Joseph and Mary well, have a sacramental marriage? And some people would say, well, maybe not, because there was no consummation of the marriage. If we believe that Joseph and Mary entered into this virginal marriage, Mary was a virgin before, during, and after the birth of Christ— well, then there wasn't the consummation of the marriage. And so some would say, well, maybe there's an issue here with the, the marriage of Joseph and Mary. And what I always tell people is we are applying a sacramental worldview that they were not subject to. So we can't apply what we believe today to the Holy Family of yesterday uh, because even then, Jesus hadn't yet instituted the sacrament of marriage, and, and we see him doing so as his presence at the wedding feast of Cana. But yet, we as believers, uh, and you as a married person, you can take Joseph and Mary, their marriage, as some sort of inspiration for your married life. One of the common gifts given to a couple by, you know, a religious family member might be an image of Mary and Joseph and them being betrothed or united in marriage. So how is it that in your own family life, you've taken the marriage of Joseph and Mary for inspiration? Well, it's just that it's that whole idea of the holy family. I mean, God could have brought his son to earth in any way. I mean, he could have had him, you know, descend from the clouds. He, he, I mean, there's a, a million different ways that God could have made that happen. And instead, he put them in a family with a father and a mother. And he made sure that he had a good holy father who could raise him and protect him. Because in that time, the father's job was very much that of a protector um, and a mother. And so... That's my job, too. That's my vocation, is to be a wife and a mother and to center my life on Jesus, which is what Mary Joseph did. You know? I'm not a scholar, so I, I can't really explain the whole idea of the perpetual virginity of Mary. Um, but I know that that family unit was God's plan for his son, and so that I know that that's God's plan for my children, too. And for, for me, that we were raised within this family that's centered on Christ. So I guess that's kind of how, the simplistic way I look at the Holy Family. And you were inspired to write about the Blessed Mother. You wanted to write about this topic. It's why you wrote about it on your blog so many years ago. How has Mary impacted <laughs> your own life? How do you look at her for you know, uh, as inspiration, or what What devotion to Mary uh, characterizes your own life? Yeah, you know, it really changed my view of Mary. Um, when I wrote about that on the blog, I was writing the, the book Gaze Upon Jesus, which is stories about um, people who, you know, encounter Jesus as a child, and one of them was Mary. And I... To, until then, I hadn't really be, been devoted to the rosary. Um, I tried, and I, you know, I prayed the rosary many times, but it really increased my devotion to the rosary by looking at those joyful mysteries and really all the mysteries of the rosary, you know, from Mary's eyes, and and being able to pray with her through those and really see her walking with me in my life. So the rosary became really a daily practice for me slowly over time 
you know, it, I mean, it wasn't kind of, it wasn't a lightning bolt, but slowly over time. Um, and it was just, it's a huge comfort to me to go through those mysteries with her because she really experienced everything a mother experiences um, and more um, through all of those mysteries. And I do love the joyful mysteries because of writing the stories about them. So I feel like a, like a really happy, I love Tuesdays and Saturdays doing the joyful mysteries. So, but yeah, the rosary really became a huge devotion to me and a huge comfort in my life. So tell me a little bit, you've mentioned a little bit about your biblical fiction writing. And so these are some of the books that you have written, uh, taking the Bible for your inspiration, uh, the, the book Well, Thief, Tomb. And, and so can you just share, uh, your? how did you get involved in writing biblical fiction? Have you always been interested in writing? You loved the scriptures. What was the impetus to do that? Well, I've always... You know, I've always been Catholic and I've always loved the scriptures, but I didn't always want to write. And I, I started writing when my kids got older. Um, I, had four, I have four kids and once they were in school and I wasn't as you know terribly busy with small children at home, I started to write. And I, I love historical fiction, but I didn't find anything I wanted to write about until one um, Easter, you know, Lenten season, I should say, when I was listening to that gospel of the woman at the well. And I just thought, wow, what's going on there? That's a really long passage about an unnamed woman. And there's a lot happening. And I thought, wouldn't that be great to write a story about her life and what happened to her after she met Jesus? Like, how did that change her? So really, I mean, that was kind of a a light bulb moment. I went home and I started writing. And then after that, it was just a series of basically miracles from the Holy Spirit (laughs) that got me me through. Um, I got an agent. Simon Schuster offered me a contract for three books, which those are the three, The Well, The Thief, and The Tomb. Um, And they're all written about um, Jesus encountering women and how he changes their lives and transforms them as, you know, through his ministry. So that's kind of how I got started, which is still a bit of a, a shock to me. (laughs) for me you know today we're recording this on a day in which the gospel was the gospel of Zacchaeus at daily mass and that's Mm -hmm. always been a gospel that i've been profoundly struck by the fact of you know bar uh, of the fact that Zacchaeus you know comes down from the tree lets jesus into his home and then what difference did that make in his life Or you think of Bartimaeus, this blind man on the side of the road, and after Jesus opens his eyes, he goes and he follows him. He follows Jesus. And we don't know how long Bartimaeus followed him, but he wants to follow this man who opened his eyes to see. And so I think that we can, as you've done, you know, that story of the woman at the well, looking at the kind of the after the after effect of that relationship with Christ is something very powerful. And uh, again, another one that comes to mind is just some of the healings. What, you know, the, the leper who um, is healed and comes back and gives thanks to God. Well, his whole life is different now. He's able to go home and see his parents or his family. Otherwise, he was just an outcast. He couldn't have contact with them. So right. we realize how Jesus has changed lives in the scriptures, and he's still doing it today. Yeah, he really is. It's um, and you can see it all around us. It, 
and I, I do. I love the the leper, and I particularly love. I wrote about Lazarus, and just the thought of being dead, and then having like Jesus raise you from the dead. What a what an incredible moment that had to be for his sisters and for him, because that's that's the tomb and, and the stories of Martha and Mary, and you know we do, Jesus does raise us from the dead every day. He like brings us into his life, and it's hard for us to see it with all the busyness and the you know, secular life that we live, but it is there. And you talk about the secular life that we live, and right now we're entering into one of the holiest seasons of the year. We're in the season of Advent. We're preparing for the birth of Christ and that special day of Christmas. And any special practices you do in order to prepare for Christmas, or how can we uh, prepare in the busyness of life? How can we pause and take those moments uh, to be with the Lord? Yeah, I, well, I mean, I do love to get to daily Mass. I think in the Advent season, it's especially helpful to get to daily Mass and for that reminder that we're waiting. It's so easy to jump into Christmas after Thanksgiving, but it's such a waiting time. And all those things that everybody's doing already, the you know, parties, put up the tree and do the decorations. I just keep telling myself, just wait, wait longer. Um, wait until the Christmas season and don't you know, give yourself time to be ready for Jesus rather than just throw yourself into it immediately. But, and from that, I love, you know, the Advent wreath. That's always a really good reminder to wait. Um, you know, just the, do we do, I like to do a, a scripture study. Usually there's beautiful Advent um, scripture studies out from Ave Maria and all, you know, lots of different um, Catholic presses. And, um, and that gaze upon Jesus, the one that I wrote the stories about, is always a good one, too, to read through and meditate and then think, you know, the, the, the building up to Christmas rather than jumping in. And as you mentioned earlier, the joyful mysteries of the rosary, praying those and coming to know and meditate on that full story of how the birth of Jesus came about. And one of the ways that came about was through that announcement of the angel to Mary that she was going to conceive the son of the most high God. And that led to many misperceptions about her, even in her own culture, even with St. Joseph, Mm -hmm. who then takes her into his home. You've written this nice and beautiful article about, uh, about this, which actually received the Catholic Press Association Award in 2018. So it was a really... Uh, applauded uh, effort uh, article that you wrote, and today we're able to have talked about that and come to a greater understanding of Mary as a risk taker, but really her role in trusting God's plan for her life. Mm -hmm. So thanks so much for being with me today, Stephanie. Oh, it was great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. And uh, maybe just uh, how can people find you online? How can they search you out? Uh, How can they get your books? You can find me easily at stephanielansom.com. So that's really the best place to to find me. I do a newsletter and blog posts on different different historical aspects. There's a lot of biblical history um, in my blog posts. And you can find my biblical books and my newest book, too, which is about the product is a retelling of the prodigal son, because that's just one of my favorite parables. Um, but all of that can be found on stephanielansom.com. 
Wonderful. So I encourage people to check it out. And also, if you're interested in biblical fiction, check out her three books from Simon and Schuster. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show and for all the many ways that you support the podcast. If you want to help out the podcast, be sure to check out Sock Religious. I love their socks. I love their shirts. And so go over to Sock Religious, use the link in the show notes, and buy some holy socks or some holy shirts that you can wear to evangelize your family and your friends. If you also want to support the podcast, I invite you to please share the podcast with your friends or on your social media platforms. Rate or review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't mind, please follow me on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. My handle is at FR Edward Looney. You'll see all of the posts, all of the content that I put out each week by following me there. Thanks so much again for listening today. Know that I am entrusting you to the heart of Mary, asking her to pray for you this day and every day. And if you don't mind, say a prayer for me too. Let us remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.